0: Lord, we thank you for your word, and Lord, I ask that as we continue on through Mark's gospel that we would uh, be growing in our understanding of who you are, that we would allow uh, Mark's record of your um, life and ministry to shape us and to shape our understanding of um, who you truly are and why you came, and uh, Lord, we just ask for, uh, for hearts, Lord, that, that are tender Um, We we want, Lord, to learn from you, and Lord, I simply want to be your messenger this morning to reflect your truth to your people, that we would be equipped and strengthened, and um, Lord, desiring to praise you and to glorify you as a result. We ask this now in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, Many of us um, probably remember when TV remotes first came out. And I'm sure there's a few of you that can remember before TV remotes came out. You remember going up to the TV screen going click, 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 right? And when I was growing up in England, we had four stations, BBC One, BBC Two, ITV One. And the newest station coming in at that point in time was ITV Two. And I remember at that time, The the, the two stations we typically watched was BBC One and ITV and you typically went back and forth from one to the other. That was all you had to choose from. I know, young people are like, I cannot believe that. That is absolutely incredible. But I remember when we got our first remote. And what was interesting about that first remote is that it, it took us through the four stations. And every time, you clicked it, and it would actually click, right? And it actually do like a double click. It was like click, 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 click. click, click. And you're saying, well, let me, let me surf the TV. You know, you have four stations you're worrying through here, but you're trying to you know, click through. And it was just this loud, loud sound. But it also had another button that also went click, click. And it was the volume button that, that click, clicked it up and down. And it was so amazing because we now had a remote. Now, understand this. Here we are, sitting down to watch TV, and this new phenomenon now is out, that you don't have to get up from your seat. You can sit in your seat and enjoy watching TV without having to get out of the seat and go over and click, click, click. No, you can sit there and you can click and click and click. And of course, you could annoy people by clicking and clicking and clicking the whole time. But then, a few years ago, in our home, we had three remotes, one for the TV, one for the DVD. Um, We also had uh, one, we have one now for our Apple TV. But I remember going into some people's homes, and they would have like four remotes, and they have, you know... Dish Network, or some cable TV, and you get remotes from all these different things, and you have like four of them, five of them sitting on your table, and you're like, all right, which one am I supposed to do? I go to someone else's home, and they're like, hey, you know, sit down, relax, why don't you watch some TV? And I'm kind of like, you know, pressing buttons, and, and nothing's happening, you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you went to a hotel where they, they have a couple of different remotes or different things, and you're like, how in the world does this thing turn on? Lights are coming on, but no TV. And then they come up with this universal remote. Now, if you've ever been able to figure that universal remote out, you can tell me exactly what to do. But it's one button or one remote that is supposed to capture everything. get, Get the point here, guys. I have the privilege of being lazy and sitting on the couch. But if I can't turn the TV on, what's the point? And of course, then the day comes when I can't find the TV remote? (laughs) What am I gonna do? How is life going to continue? I cannot find it. Where can it be? And so I began looking for it. It's, uh, is it under the couch? Is it under the, under the cushions? Is it in the, where the magazines are? Is it where the toys are kept? Is it, did I happen to take it upstairs when I was walking out? Did I take it out with the trash? Did it end up in the car? I mean, we're looking, and you know, everyone is looking now. Why? Because no one wants to have to be the one to get up and turn the TV on or to switch it from a different channel to another channel. And usually if you're the youngest person in the family, that is your job right? And at one point in time, it used to be your job to actually hold the aerial out, right, to make sure that the screen, can come. you know, what so you guys, you know, we're, we're in the same, the same country here. Are we understanding this? Um, but no one stops. No one stops looking for the remote because we want to make sure we can sit down in our comfort and watch TV. Of course, then someone finally finds it in the kitchen under some papers and that kind of stuff, and everyone's happy. Now, I share all that because what we have when we come to this text of Scripture is really one statement that draws everything together. It is the reason why Mark is kind of putting these vignettes together. And it is this statement that we find in verse 36, I believe it is, where he says, everyone is looking for you. See, everyone here is looking for Jesus. In fact, in verse 36 where it says that his companions, that would be Simon, Peter, James, and John, are searching for Jesus, that is a word that is pretty intense. It literally means to track down or to hunt down. It's not just like, oh, I'm just going to go shopping and do some window shopping. No, it means I have something I'm looking for, and I'm not going to stop until I find it. That's that's the expression that's going on here. So these four companions of Jesus, who would eventually be then his full disciples, are searching for him. Why? Because everyone is looking for him, and they weren't going to stop looking for Jesus because everyone is looking for him. Now, to understand The question, why is everyone looking for Jesus? We need to look at the events that took place on the Sabbath day. And if you remember, it all began in the synagogue. Jesus was actively teaching when he was rudely interrupted by this uh, man with the unclean spirit. Jesus ultimately says, be quiet and come out of him. And the people see Jesus in action, exercising authority over the demon, and they are literally thunderstruck. They are totally amazed and in awe. And they said, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now friends, that's a huge, huge statement, and a huge revelation, and a huge indication that Jesus is no normal person. That he is, and this is what what Mark is trying to begin his gospel by showing, that he is the son of God. Look at how he has authority over the demons. But in our passage today, Mark is going to record three scenes that lay the foundation so that the statement, everyone is looking for Jesus, makes sense. So three scenes that that lay the foundation for why everyone is looking for Jesus. Jesus. So, this is all kind of moving toward that section in our passage. And the three scenes really, we have a house, we're going to have a front porch, and ultimately, we're going to have a desolate place. Or you could even think of it in, in terms of time the afternoon, the evening, and the next morning. And so, we're going to begin with the first scene that I'm calling a Sabbath meal at a Sabbath meal. Notice verse 29 through 31. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever and immediately they told him about her and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. So here we have them gathered for a Sabbath meal. Now you can just imagine Peter, Andrew, James, and John, having come from the synagogue, and they are full because they have seen this one who has called them in action, exercising authority, speaking with authority in the synagogue. They've seen the incredible things that took place that day. They've they've listened to him preaching and how he preached. This is a great day. And as is the custom... And was the custom for us, too, uh, after a, a Sabbath gathering in the synagogue, people gather together in homes for a meal, just like many of you probably today. After I say amen at the end of the service, you're going to head off. You're going to go for a meal somewhere. family's going to gather together. This is a similar scenario here. But when they arrive, they find that the host's mother-in-law is down and she's sick with a fever. Now, there's something else here. Just as a side note, I don't want it to be a distraction, but I think it's worth noting because it brings this story in a far more domestic light. And we're told here that they were going to, verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Now, what does that imply? (laughs) It implies that Simon, who was Peter, was what? Was married. Now we don't we don't read anything about the fact that Peter was married but just you just take that in and you think okay that actually changes a little bit it changes a little bit of our understanding about Peter's understanding of life domestic life even he was married and he has a, a mother-in-law okay and the apostle Paul even Beyond this inference indicates for us in 1 Corinthians 9, as he's defending the rights of the apostles, listen to what he says in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 5. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? So there's, there's some things that we don't necessarily always see as we're reading the Gospels, and that is the, the presence of women who are actively supporting and encouraging the men who are doing ministry. It might help us just to see this in a, a little bit more domestic light. So here we are at the Sabbath meal, and we're going to be, begin with what I'm saying is the problem. The problem is that they find not just a, not a hot meal, but a hot host, right? She's in bed, she's sick, she has a fever. Now, the understanding here is that the fever wasn't grave. Um, It was probably rather run-of-the-mill. She may have had the flu or something like that, but it was enough to have her lie down and not be able to prepare a meal for their coming. Now, if she's like most mothers, and we love you moms, we recognize this is true of you, um, it's hard uh, to knock a mom off her feet so she can't take care of the domestic things like that. Most moms who are hosts, they, they love to be hosts, and they, they jump into action. They, they're busy doing stuff. But in this situation, she's in bed. She's sick. She's struggling. And then we see the solution. The solution is simply this, that Jesus ultimately heals her. So it says they spoke to Jesus about her. And what does Jesus do? Well, Luke tells us that he stood over her and rebuked the fever. Matthew tells us that he touched her. But here in Mark, we're told that he took her by the hand and lifted her up. So let's just put all that together. And let's just think through how Jesus just tenderly and and kindly and gently brings a healing to Peter's mother-in-law. So standing close to her bed as a physician would, he's taking her by the hand, he's rebuking the fever, he's gently lifting her up while Peter, Andrew, James, and John are looking on. Now just just pause a little bit and just ask yourself, who is the audience here? Who's learning firsthand? Who Who is having their view of Jesus now um, strengthened or more, more fully defined. It's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They've already seen him in action with, uh, in the synagogue, but now they see him in the context of Peter's home and someone who is close to him. Now notice Jesus doesn't use any special formula. He doesn't use any incantation. He just speaks with authority, and then he touches with authority lifts her up, out of bed. But notice how she responds. It says, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now friends, this is an added statement that is important, because the ongoing, this is the ongoing proof that this healing actually took place. You'll find this actually through Mark, and in the other Gospels too, that there is a healing For example, and here's a lame man who's healed, and what does Jesus say? Take up your mat and walk. In other words, we want to see the proof that you actually have been healed. The little girl who's healed, Jairus' daughter. At the end of that story, she's healed. She sits up in bed, and what does Jesus say? Give her something to eat. In other words, these are all evidences that you know she's not just still laying on the bed, and oh, now she's healed. But now she's up. And not only is she up, but she's doing something. What is she doing? She's serving. She's healed to the point that she has strength now to serve her family and guests a Sabbath meal. Now, friends, this is a pretty incredible picture. And there's a couple of things I want us to think uh, to, to see from this. First of all, it's worth noticing that Jesus actually cares. He cares about the mundane, the run of the mill. Um, the, the struggles that are domestic that we face. So, so he isn't just God over the big things, whatever the big things might be, right? He, he, is, he, he is the one who cares about the normal, everyday trials that you and I face. So the baby that is crying and won't fall asleep, he cares about that. When my head is pounding, and and, and it just won't stop. He cares about that. The cut that you have on your finger because you were slicing the vegetables and someone spoke to you, and ah, he cares about that. Uh, The cold or the flu that that you're struggling through or the cough that you have or or the backache that is stopping you from washing the dishes or the the sciatic nerve you have going down through your body that, that is painful. He cares about that. Or even the kind of the, the, the domestic struggle that would be like conflict going on in the home. He cares about that. These are all domestic. These are all, I'm about to say, run-of-the-mill things. And Jesus even cares about those. Now, friends, that's important for us to understand. Because we should never feel foolish going to God going to Christ and, and asking for help and asking for, for, for re- re- relief or, or going to him and just asking for wisdom and for strength with those mundane and run-of-the-mill trials because the reality is most of our struggles are mundane and run-of-the-mill. And this is where Jesus lives. This is where we are. He cares. He is the Lord over domestic life. So he truly enters into our world. He's not just standing off. He cares. Secondly, we see, though, he cures. Notice the flow of events that take place here. Peter's mother-in-law is sick, so she's lying down in bed, unable to take care of her guests. She's uh, she's helpless. She's she's needing help, so she's sick. He restores her. He he makes her well again, and then she starts serving. So sick and helpless, restoration, and then servant. And friends, it's a reminder that when Jesus heals us from our sin through the gospel, he heals us to serve. And one of the things we need to recognize is that not only do we need to see the, 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 the real human dynamic of healing that Jesus comes and he relieves in the pages of the gospels, but those are all little pictures of what happens in the gospel. The little spiritual pictures of what happens to us because of Jesus Christ. Now friends, just just hear this. You and I will probably go through life, and there'll be times when we go through struggle or we have some physical things, and Jesus may heal us or he may not heal us. He doesn't guarantee, he doesn't promise that everyone is going to get physical healing. But what he is guaranteeing is that those who come to him, who embrace him as Lord and Savior, will have the healing that really matters. And that is the healing of the soul. And so it's important that we recognize here that he, he restores us through salvation to service. So he doesn't just heal us to heal us. He, he grants forgiveness through his death on the cross so that we will serve him as new creatures created in righteousness. He, 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 he calls us and then he calls us to serve. Now, to put it a little differently, our salvation is the beginning of our discipleship, and our discipleship is the beginning of our service. Can I say that again? Our salvation is the beginning of our discipleship, and our discipleship is the beginning of our service. And here's a statement that will throw you for a loop. And this happens simultaneously in that order. All right? It happens simultaneously in that order. In other words, salvation, discipleship, and then moving then from there to service happens instantaneously, but in that order. You're saved, and as a result of your salvation, you become a disciple, not at some distant time. At that point of salvation, you become a disciple, and because you're a disciple, you are saved to be a disciple who serves. That all happens together at one time, but the flow and the logic of it unfolds from salvation, leads into discipleship, leads into service. This is what God has called us to. The Apostle Paul says it a little differently, but he says it this way, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So the good works is the fruit of what Jesus Christ has done in us. This is really helpful for us, friends, because When Jesus heals us spiritually, he doesn't just say, okay, you're healed, now go do what you want. He says, you're healed, but now you're my disciple. And now you humble yourself before me. And because you're humbling yourself before me, you then are going to bear fruit because you're serving me. This all works hand in hand. Now back to our story here. Can you imagine the the afternoon of food and fellowship that all of them were having, not only to be in the synagogue and to hear Jesus' teaching and to see him cast out that, uh, that, that unclean spirit from that man, but also to experience the healing touch of uh, the Lord himself with, with someone who was so close and so dear to them. There must have been a lot of rejoicing. I'm sure the food was great. I'm sure the, the fellowship was, was wonderful. And then the thumps start coming on the door what's going on? Why are people knocking at the door? Well, the reason they're knocking at the door is because the Sabbath has broken. With the sunset, the Sabbath comes to an end. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. Now, it's probably not usual for, for someone to come knocking at your door and one of your kids say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, there's someone at the door who wants to talk to you. And you go, okay. And you walk and you open the door, and it's the whole of Castro Valley, okay? That's who is there. They're, they're all there, and they're standing in line. Now, when we used to live in Michigan, we were out in a, uh, in a, in a country village, and for, for Halloween, people literally would bus into our village, and for like two hours, you would literally have a line, a huge line of kids and their families all waiting to get candy from our house. And that, that doesn't even compare to what's happening here. They're coming and they're banging on his door. Now I just, I want us to think through this first of all. This, this is the breaking of the Sabbath. Think through the logic of what's happening here and why it's happening. At the end of the sunset, or, sorry, when sunset comes, the, the, the actual Sabbath is broken. But according to, to, to tradition, helping someone seek a healing on the Sabbath might be regarded as work. And so it was avoided, which, of course, rem- reminds us of the, the spiritual darkness of the people we're in at this point in time. That they've added so many things to the law that the reasonableness of, of caring for someone now is considered to be a work. But verse 28 reminds us that after Jesus ministered in the synagogue, it says at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So people could not walk all over the place on on the Sabbath, but they sure could talk a lot. And the news went out. And they're waiting for sundown because they're chomping at the bit to find Jesus and to bring their sick and their demon-possessed to Jesus because they want their people healed. They want their their friends delivered from the demons. And and the word here, bringing, um, is in the imperfect tense in the Greek, and I'm not trying to impress you, but it's helpful to know that because what it means is there was this this steady um, kind of stream of people just coming and coming and coming because they had brought their sick and they had brought their disease. The whole city had gathered at the door. Now we realize that, that Mark is speaking in hyperbole here. He's not saying that every single person in the city was there. It's an expression to say there was just a mass of people. Now I'm just thinking, what is it like to, to be in that kind of a throng, a mass of people? Uh, when I went to England with my wife for our 25th anniversary, I went to one of my Uh, it was actually a a bucket list thing, went to watch West Ham United play um, against Manchester City, and we were riding on the the underground, and when we got to Upton Park, the the station that we were supposed to get get out at, the train pulled up, and we couldn't get out. There were so many people on the platform. The train had to sit and had to wait, and and you just slowly, slowly worked out. There's just a mass of people just trying to get to the game. It's what it was. I remember when I was in, in, in Moscow, going on the underground in Moscow, and it was during rush hour. And, and, and you know, if, if you did not know where you were going, you would end up somewhere because there were so many people that you would just go along like ants flowing through and get on some train somewhere. And when we finally got to the train, it was so jam-packed, and our guide said, all right, get on. We're like, how, how in the world are we going to get on? She's like, don't worry, just just run up there and jump. So, you know, run right up You know, like this, you know, and she comes behind us, pushing and pushing and pushing, you know, and then you're like face to face with Boris. I don't even remember him, but we were pretty intimate at that point in time, you know, and and there we were for a few few miles, dry, you know, going on the train. There's something about this mass. I just want you to get the sense of what's going on here. There is a huge mob of people banging on the door, calling for Jesus, pleading with him to take care of their loved ones. The news is out. Jesus is a healer. He's one who casts out demons. So so what is the solution here? What does Jesus actually do? Jesus heals and casts out the demons. Jesus responds to this interruption at his doorstep. He's in someone else's home, but at the doorstep. by, By ministering to them. Verse 34, and he healed many who were, with, uh, who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now Matthew gives some theological help to understanding what's going on here. He says that, that, that he's, this, this fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet was saying, that he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. See, Jesus is the healer in the synagogue. He is the healer in the home. And he now becomes the healer on the front porch where this mass of people are gathered. And you can just imagine the scene. This mass of people pressed around the door of the house. You could hear the, 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 the shrieks as the Messiah casts out the demons. You could, you could hear the, 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 the voices of joy coming from the people as well as the loved ones when someone's physical ailment has been healed. People are throwing away uh, sticks or, or things that are used for crutches. And, and you could hear uh, or you could see people who are hearing for the first time, listening very intently or, or being able to see for the first time or, or once again. It would have been an incredible sight just to observe all that was happening. Listen, Jesus not only cares, but he he cares enough to actually meet people's physical needs. That's what's going on here. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus makes a distinction between those who are sick and those who are demon-possessed. And why is this distinction important? Because he heals the sick, but he casts out the, the demons. He drives them out. And it's important to understand in the context, um, in this particular context, where, where Jesus now is encountering these people, there was a strong belief that sickness was the result of demon possession, that they all kind of went hand in hand. And here it's distinguished because Jesus heals those who are sick. He casts out those who uh, are demon-possessed. Now, friends, this is is helpful and it's important because it's not true to say that all sickness or most sickness is the result of demon activity. In fact, um, this is an example of where the health, wealth, and prosperity crowd, um, those that believe and preach that health, wealth, and prosperity is so off the mark with what the scriptures actually teach. It contradicts scripture to say the reason that you're sick and not healed or have this condition is because of uh, a, a, a demon in your life or a lack of faith. A number of years ago, when I was ministering in, in Russia, I met a pastor from the city of um, uh, o- Oktobersky, I think is how you pronounced it. It's on the border of Bashkortostan and Tartarstan, just for clarification, just so that you know that. Um, uh, but just a great guy. Um, he, he spoke a little bit of English and he told me his testimony. And he was sharing it, and we were just sitting there just amazed at what he was saying. He was, um, he was a young man uh, born with a club foot, and I believe it was his left foot. Now, if you know what a club foot is, it basically means that your, 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 your leg is twisted around so much so that it, it, it basically hangs there, and it's not just that your bone is twisted, but the tendons then are also disconnected. So it's not just like, you know, well, just strengthen it up and get it around. It's, it's a pretty major thing. And, and pretty much he would drag that foot around wherever he went. And so he tells the story of how he was teased as a child. And, of course, children can be, can be harsh about things like that. He tells about the struggles he went through just as a, as a young man, as a teenager, Um, He he mentions the fact that his family was too poor to get any surgeries done or to see doctors, really, uh, of any extent. I mean, just the possibility of doing that was just really um, uh, just not there. Um, It was a rough childhood. He endured a lot of sufferings, what he said, but um, he eventually um, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was converted. And um, a little later in his teen, he had been a believer for about maybe three or four years. A little later in his teen years, he ended up going to a church that had a youth group, pretty strong youth group. It, it, it happened to be, though, a Pentecostal charismatic-style church. And he went there a couple of times, and the people were really excited that he was there. And they approached him, and they said, Yvonne, um, we would love to pray for you. We would love to set up a time where we can lay hands on you, and we can pray for you so that your, your leg can be healed. Now, I want to I kind of just step back and say, I totally believe that God can heal if he so chooses to. Okay? I want to make sure you understand that. But even with that statement, we need to understand some errors that come up. And here's, here's how it unfolded with him. And so they set up a time and he went and they laid hands on him and they prayed. And it was probably a half an hour service or something like that, as I remember him saying. And they, they, they claimed God's power on him and they promised him that God would heal him because God had told them that he would heal them. Well, a week went by, and they met again, but nothing had changed. So they said, Ivan, we need to pray harder, and we need to pray longer. In fact, what we need to do is we need to have prayer and fasting together in order to bring about this healing. Okay, so let's do that. So they prayed, they fasted, a week went by, they met again, nothing had changed. And they said, Ivan, well, Let me ask you a question. Do you have sin in your life? Always well, like, well, yeah, I, I mean I, I I sin and he was he was you know smart enough to realize that he had daily struggles with sin, but he couldn't think of anything that was so so huge and that there was you know his his accounts with God were, were somehow hidden that, that this was interfering with what was going on. But they were saying, you know, what, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're what sin are you committing that this is hindering your healing? You've got to look hard in your your soul and and, and confess your sin. And so that week he went back and he's just like, he's looking in every crevice. He wants to to be healed. I mean, he wants this leg to to be changed and to be restored. And a week goes by, and he meets with them again, but nothing had changed. Well, this time, when they prayed and there was no change, they rebuked him. And they said, "Yvonne, the reason God won't heal you is that you don't have enough, what's the next word? Faith. Faith. If you only had more faith, God could heal you. And Yvonne's thinking to himself, I've been walking with God, I've been praying, I've been looking for all the sin in my life, I've been fasting, and sure, I may have some sin that I'm I'm confessing to God, and I'm believing that if he wants to heal, he can heal me. At that, they got angry with him, and they rebuked him uh, even more, and accused him of grieving the Holy Spirit by his unbelief. Of course, at that point, even as a, as a young man, Ivan realized that he was under the influence of an unhealthy church. And so he ended up leaving that church, and he, 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 he the unhealthy part here is that they just believed that, that being sick or having a physical challenge was ungodly and needed to be rooted out. And now, Ivan's just, he's a gracious man, and um. You know, he would speak with, about these people with, with kindness and with graciousness, and he would say you know, they meant well, they wanted what was best, they wanted to honor God, but they were just simply faulty in their understanding of what the scriptures actually teach. Now since that po- point in time, um, through prayer with his family and his wife at that point in time, um, God um, provided finances and he provided doctors that were willing to help him, and they- he was able to go through a number of surgeries, and, and the-, the leg isn't fully restored, but it is restored enough that he can walk more like you and I do. He does have a little bit of a limp and that kind of stuff. Um, and he's okay with that. And he actually joked uh, when I was there, he's like, you know, um, he says, my parents should have called me Jacob instead, you know. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's having a view of his situation and his suffering that, that comes more from God rather than the fact that I have this is a result then of my Sinfulness. Now, I share this all with you, friends, because it's important that we recognize and we don't get caught up with with what is actually taught many times in the context of churches and how people deal with things. We still need to pray for healing, God still chooses to heal. And so we, we, we go and we pray for those people who are going through cancer, going through other sorts of, of struggles, and we say, God, you can heal. And we pray that you will heal, but we, what we want most is for your will to be done. You get that? It's not always God's will to heal people. Now, just to give you a very, very simple uh, kind of analogy of that. Just think of the, the people that Jesus healed in the context of the Gospels. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and there's someone at, uh, at a pool who's lame. And you're like, oh, and he heals them. That's great. Yeah, but there was probably about another hundred people sitting around that person. Why does he choose that one and not everyone? See, this is the thing. There are times when God chooses to heal. It's probably more the exception than the rule. But God does heal, and we can pray for healing, but we also need to pray for wisdom and for strength and for discernment in the midst of all that. So we believe, we exercise faith, we pray because our Savior, Jesus Christ, truly cares about our struggles. But we we also humble ourselves and we submit ourselves to his watchful care over our lives, seeking to do his will. And we need to recognize that in our suffering, God is at work, and through our suffering, he is bringing about, seeking to bring out, through our, our radiance of the gospel, um, uh, the good news to others who may even be going through struggles themselves. So friends, this is, this is all what happens at the Sunset mob. This mass of people come, and Jesus graciously extends a healing touch To all of these people. Now it moves to the next day, the next morning, after a huge, long day of work, um, uh, where we find Jesus uh, in a secluded meditation. Verse 35 And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So even after a busy night, even, I'm sure, on a human level, he was extremely tired. He gets up early, and he goes out to this desolate place to pray. And the idea there is somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. Now, this is not saying that you have to get up between 3 and 6 in the morning to pray. Um, This is what Jesus is doing. But I want you to notice something that we miss in our English translation And that is this word desolate is the same word that is used in verses 3 and 4 and 12, which is translated wilderness. So Jesus goes from the the home to the porch. Now ultimately he goes into the wilderness. And just remember what has taken place in the wilderness. John the Baptist comes preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the wilderness. Jesus is baptized in the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's he's pushed into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. But this is also where the beginning of the gospel takes place. This is where Jesus can return to affirm his mission. So it's a place where he's secluded. It's a place where he's communing with the Father to keep his focus on on what what his mission is. And I'm sure... We're not told specifically, but I'm sure that he was praying for sinners, those who were coming uh, to be healed and to be delivered from demons. He's praying for those disciples, those four that he is already uh, with him, that are, that are observing and learning from what has taken place. And I'm sure he's also communing with the Father about the mission that is yet to come. And friends, it's, it's just helpful for us to, to, to look at the example of Jesus and to see the importance Of taking personal time with God. Hear this, especially when you're busy. I mean, this is not. It it wasn't like well, Jesus, you know, so well. If I have time, maybe I can go out and find that. You know, maybe the end of the day. You know, he's getting up early because he knows that he needs this. Okay, he he knows that there's 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 a there's a purpose behind communing with the Father for the purpose of carrying out the ministry. And it's it's a pattern, friends, for us just to say not so much the when of it, but the, the, the fact of it, that our need to take time to commune with God, especially when life is busy and hard, we need his strength. We need our hearts realigned to Christ and the gospel, and we need God's perspective for what we're facing. So if you're busy, 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 all the more reason to stop, stop, stop. Now let's consider the problem. What's the problem? This is where we get to the the heart of the issue. Look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. This is the, the hunt statement that I was talking about earlier. Of course, These people are looking for Jesus. He's their healer. He's their exorcist. He's now their superstar, so to speak. He's the the local miracle worker. Of course they're looking for him because there are, are always people who are suffering. There are always people who are struggling, and they don't want to lose a good thing. There are more people to heal of sicknesses. There are more people to be rid of demons. and Now there's a sense... Friends, in which we, we can't blame them. They see, here's someone who can can meet our needs on a physical level, on a human level. And when you have a good thing, you don't want to lose it. They had this, this magic Jesus that they could turn to. But hear this, they were not coming to Jesus in repentance and belief, but in order to use his power to heal and deliver. There's a huge difference. The, The people wanted something out of Jesus. He was their genie, so to speak, that they could rub when they were needing him. They weren't done with him. They still had things that they wanted to use him for. And friends, the sad reality is that there's a sense of that even in us. We have to ask ourselves the question. When the sun is shining... When when things are going well in our lives, when, when things are happening and, and, and it's smooth and, and we're experiencing prosperity, there is a tendency for us to drift away from depending on the Lord, or even from acknowledging Him and His activity in our lives. And we, we end up kind of being superficial in our walk with God. We hear nice Christian sermons and we hear nice Christian songs and nice Christian friends fellowship with us. But we can even be guilty of living agnostic lives because we are experiencing the light of prosperity. And friends, we need to be careful about that. Because the tendency for us then is is when it's dark, look out, where's Jesus? I need you, I need you now! You said and you promised See, when we we want him, we're crying for him. We're looking for him. And so we'll be turning up at his door. We'll be knocking on his door, expecting and demanding that he take care of us. We'll even grab our Bibles and start reading them. We'll even start writing verses on cards and and memorizing them because we want God to to be reminded that we're one of his children, that look at what we're doing. So therefore, God, come on, we, we want your compassion. We want your help. You see, we've we've drifted into this kind of, um, I don't know what the word is, seesaw kind of approach to to our relationship with with Christ. And and, and our relationship should be a constant. Whether it's it's times of prosperity or times of darkness, we should be communing with him. We should be trusting him. We should be leading on him. We're not simply pulling out God's word to somehow simulate being fed so that God can look down favorably on us. We're doing it because we want to be fed. And God is actually at work in us. Now here's just the beautiful thing. Do you know how God typically responds to our superficial spiritual panicking? In spite of our superficiality, he is typically kind and gracious. (laughs) Aren't you thankful for that? He treats us with grace when we don't deserve it. He grants us mercy, we deserve justice. But that's the kind of God that we serve. And so the four disciples are coming, and they're, they're all caught up with the, with the crowd mentality. I mean, yes, we've been called to, to follow Jesus, and now we're seeing who Jesus is, and he's this miracle worker, this is great, and everyone's looking for you. Where are you? People want you! So they come, and they want Jesus to stop praying and to get back to Capernaum so he can continue his miracles. But Jesus has other plans. Here's the solution. He says, verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. My friend, that's such such an important statement. Jesus is... Priority is preaching. His priority was to come and to give the good news of the gospel. Verse 39, it says, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Marcus already emphasized that the, 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 the preaching of the gospel was the priority for Jesus. The healings and the casting out of demons were always secondary. But that is what the multitude and the crowds are attracted to. That is what they want. Now, we understand some of that. Why? Because you're personally affected by that. Now, hear this. If the healings and exorcisms were the priority, then Jesus would have stayed in Capernaum. But Jesus recognizes what this crowd is after. Why everyone is looking for him? Because they want more healing. They want more demons cast out. What they do not really care about is what? The word being preached. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say what you want to say, but just heal this person. But Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He's more than a religious superstar. He is the very Son of God. He is the Messiah who has come with the message of good news. And friends, the day began in the synagogue and it would end in another synagogue. And on this day, we see that Jesus' life is not set on course by the whims of the popularity polls in Capernaum. Just because the crowd wants it doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is going to give it. He sets his own course. He has his own plan. So for us, this is a question for us. Is the Jesus you want simply the Jesus that comes through for you? Is he the the genie in your life that you can rub when you need his help? Or is he the Jesus being revealed here in the pages of Mark's gospel? Friends, Jesus is not a genie to turn to. He is the son of God that you submit to. He's not the genie you turn to. He is the son of God that you submit to. Jesus is not there simply to do our bidding when we want him. Jesus is there to come running to and to humble ourselves before and to say, what is it you want? Now, I want you to notice, just kind of recapping some things here. First of all, that Jesus cares about the mundane. He cares about your headaches. He cares about your fevers, your back pain, your tight budget, your sports fees, whatever it might be, he cares about that. He does want you to turn to him, even with the mundane, run-of-the-mill struggles of life. And he also cares about the many, the crowds, the people that are out there. Even those who care little about him. Just think about that in terms of what he's saying here. He's still willing to hang out with them. He's still willing to to, to heal and to cast out their demons. He heals their diseases. He delivers them from the bodily control of demons. He truly cares and is moved with compassion. But what he ultimately cares about is the mission. This is why he came. And he identifies the mission here as preaching. And in verse 15, he tells us that it was the message of repentance and belief. Now Jesus does care about our physical needs. If our physical needs are met, however, and we are spiritually dead, then we're still hopeless and we're still in bondage. And so our physical needs are always secondary to our spiritual needs. His healing and delivering demonstrated who he was, but what he really came to do was to heal the soul, to bring healing to the spiritually sick, to bring deliverance to those mastered by sin. That's why he comes with the good news. That's why he wants you. Now, friends, it's so easy to get get caught up with the, the, the physical side of it, and, and to neglect the spiritual side. Especially when you're going through passages like this. And, and as you minister to people who are going through suffering, just recognize, encourage them with the truth of the gospel. Encourage them with the compassion of Christ and his mercy and his, and his grace. And pray with them and just remind them that if God so chooses to do, he can heal. And So we're going to pray according to, to his will we're going to leave it in his hands. And if he chooses not to heal, we're going to pray that he gives you the strength and the wisdom to continue on with his strength and to live for his glory. There's a balance that is needed there. Now, how do we know that he cares? Again, reflecting over this passage, three words really stand out. We know that he cares because of his tenderness with Peter's mother-in-law. There's something beautiful and gentle and tender about how he interacts with her. He cares because of the tirelessness with the mass of people, and that was hard work. Now Mark may be speaking in hyperbole, but there's still a lot of people there, and Jesus is working hard and his humanity he's working hard because he cares. and then of course, with his time with the Father, that was time to to, to, to be refreshed to re reestablish the mission to, to, to commune and to, to be ready for what was next. And we can learn from that. It, we, we, it's one way that we care even for those who are under our care by making sure that we are communing with the Lord. Your family needs that. Dads, your family needs that. Needs you spending time with God in his word, praying over the family. All of that is important, Mom. Your family needs that. I want to leave you with three, three statements, again, just pushing some of the things that are brought up in this text home. And they're all questions really um, that I think will help us to think through what's going on in this passage. Remember, Mark is painting a picture in these first eight chapters in particular, trying to identify who Jesus is. So the, the first one is this who? Who is Jesus? And the way I want you to think about this question is in this way. How is your view of who Jesus is changing? How are you seeing him in different light as you've begun to go through the gospel of Mark? Just think of some things that we we find here in this particular chapter. He's a healer. He's compassionate. He's hardworking. He's reliant on the Father. He's focused. He speaks and he he touches with authority. He is a preacher. And so it's so easy to, to relegate Jesus to our superstar useful tool rather than exalt him as our Lord and Savior. So who is this Jesus? And how have you grown in your understanding of who he is? Secondly, what does Jesus really care about? And we tend to treat him, you know, when things come up and turn to him, which is right, which is appropriate. And you might just see yourself kind of in that cycle Rather than trying to have this consistent walk with him. and Listen, we're all going to grow. We're all going to mature in in our our growth in Christ in that area. But remember that that Jesus is far more concerned with your soul than your physical well-being. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about your physical well-being. He does. But he's far more concerned about your soul. He's far more concerned about you being prepared for heaven because of your soul than your body Actually, being prepared for heaven <laughs> because it's your soul ultimately that matters. And just driving what I've said already home how? How are you doing with your own personal walk with God? Ask yourself this question Do I, like Jesus, sense the need for prayer and prolonged communion with the Father? I mean, do, do you see? That in the busyness of life and in the struggles that you face, that there's, there's a need just to, to find that, that place where you can pour your heart out to God. You can open up his word. You can hear from him. And you can be in communion with him. No one else needs to know about it. Or maybe other people do know about it. You may be in homes where mom or dad goes into a room, and they're praying you can hear them, or or they're kind of off in private. My mom always did it in the morning um, as I was getting ready to go for school. She'd be off in the living room on a chair, and she'd be reading her Bible, and then she'd go to the Lord in prayer, and she'd be praying out loud, and she'd be sometimes weeping, and I could hear her, and many times I would hear her praying for me, and I was a pagan. The point is, she had a time and she went to that time and she passionately communed with the Lord during that time. Now, think about it. How much time do you spend in prayer concerning your spiritual walk? I'm not talking about, you know, answer this prayer as far as, you know, the the, the details of life. I'm just saying in your own spiritual walk, asking God to have his way with your life, asking God to reveal the sinfulness that you're harboring in your heart, asking God to show you where you need to grow. These are all areas that that he just wants to hear from you about, that he wants you to to be honest and truthful about. Maybe it's time for you to to find your own, I'll use this expression, wilderness, the place where it all began, to go back and to be reconnected and to be refreshed with, with, with the mission that God has called you to, to be one of his disciples, serving him and serving others for his glory. You might say, I've got Jesus. But I ask you the question, does Jesus have you? Lord, help us. Help us to be able to sift through the things that are important and the things that are lesser. Lord, we recognize that in a passage like this, we need to be in awe of the fact that you are one who heals you, to be in awe of the fact that you are one who delivers people from demonic activity. And we wanna take nothing away from the seriousness of those conditions. And yet at the same time, Lord, we wanna see that, that those are demonstrations of your power so that the good news that you have come to preach can and will be heard. And yet at the same time, it's so easy to get caught up with the healings and with the, the, the exorcisms that the, even the preaching of the word is, is set aside because the sensational seems to be so much more attractive. But Lord, what's attractive in this passage is you. What's attractive is the fact that you care. And what's attractive in this passage, Lord, is that you care, more importantly, for our souls so Lord, help us to see, to see you afresh. Help us to be mindful of the ways in which we can, we can press on in our communion with you. And Lord, how much you, you long for that in us. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. And Lord, may, may we be searching and hunting for you for the right reasons. To know you, to love you, and to worship you. And if you so choose to, Help us with our physical struggles. Uh, Lord, we, we, we praise you for that, but we want to ultimately be under your will. And Lord, we ask now for your wisdom and your direction as we flesh this text out in our lives, and we do it for your glory, in your name, amen.